Coffee with Tony is back. The podcast, uh, which, yes, uh, I think there's a little... I have to figure something out. I have a live cast that airs on Twitch. That's at twitch.tv slash fatty, And that's a daily show that uh, airs, or a week daily show, that airs 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 9.30 a.m. Pacific Time for the hour. And then I have the podcast, which uh, our last podcast with Ray Sani was uh, really well received. And uh, they're all well received, but but Ray's was particularly uh, enjoyed by everybody. And um, I had recorded a few, uh, including this one with Zeke a few weeks ago. uh, And then life got away, you know, got away from me. I, I... working on the live cast so much and I had to work on another podcast, a project that I can't discuss uh, because I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Um, and uh, so I was working on that. So anyway, I'm glad that you are listening now and you're listening to a really special podcast uh, because this is uh, the setup without going too long. Um, Zeke Smith, who, uh, is a Harvard graduate, studied theology, um, a student of mine, an improv student of mine, uh, through, I think every level and also frequent volunteer at my show that I used to run at the UCB East in the East village, the Tony show, which was also the Tony and Johnny show prior to John moving to Los Angeles, John Gemberling. Um, and Zeke was a frequent volunteer and, uh, I will say to, in my perspective, Zeke was a young, uh, gay man and, uh, you know, fun, uh, volunteer for shows was willing to do anything. And that was always fun to get willing participants to, uh, humiliate themselves on stage. And, um, I will save it for the podcast, but the part that I won't save is that later Zeke ended up appearing on a CBS's Survivor, and he was outed by a fellow cast member as being trans, and um, so that uh, he had about six months to figure out how to let everybody know in his life something that was going to air on national TV. And, um, and I don't think it was like, uh, you know, I know with me, it, it was, I was, uh, pretty not phased by it because Zeke is just Zeke to me. Um, and we discuss all of that in, in the podcast and also like just the way Zeke and I always talked, especially when he was in class, he would let me run on tangents. He would go on tangents and then, of course, sometimes I would say things I thought were incredibly profound and Zeke would just look at me and go, yeah, OK, great. Let's move on. So um, he's a great foil for me and I hope for him. And uh, I'm incredibly proud of, of uh, him moving to L.A. and and building his career and and uh, and aligning with him his self in a real way, which I think is uh, very cool. And I'm, I was just thrilled to talk with him. And without further ado, here's Zeke. Zeke is a comedian, a writer. Is it fair to say a trans activist? 
Um, well, if you're a trans person who is uh, of any notoriety, you are immediately called a trans activist. So, so sure, let's why not? do it. So why not? Let's take it. Um, a a you have uh, you studied is particular Anglican, right? Is it? Am I correct in saying that? Anglican. Um, well, so or? I. I, I am Anglican, uh, or You're Episcopalian, Anglican. as we say in the United States. But yeah, yeah. so I, my degree is in the intellectual history of Christianity, so like yes. the history of Christian theology. Um, and I know a lot, about, a lot about Christianity and the Bible and the different ways it's been interpreted throughout the past 2,000 years. Yeah, Zeke would really take me apart when I would try to start waxing <laughs> philosophical. And we'll get into it in the podcast, too. Um, yeah. and, and someone who I deeply miss... Uh, and yes, who I miss and, um, who I feel like you as a student of improv, your energy and enthusiasm, your digestion of the information was so rapid fire. And sometimes I would feel the need to slow you down because I felt like you would overclock. If there's one thing I could say about Zeke, Zeke is, can overclock in a great way. And also in a way where I feel like you synthesize information so quickly, I feel like I identify with you a lot because I'm the same. And maybe sometimes what you see in someone else you see in yourself, I would really attach to it because I know my number one thing my wife says to me is, you are doing too much too quick and I can't take what you're, I can't take what you're processing. Like my processor is overclocked. And I feel like we're very similar in that fashion. Yeah, um, I, I have definitely, improv has helped me learn. I need to like slow down, you know, cause I think we're similar in the sense that we go from A to Z, but most yes. people don't, they need B, C, D, E, etc. cetera. Yes. Um, and I yeah. get impatient with the fact that people don't get how I got to Z. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. And I think I don't, I haven't done improv in, in, years at this point yeah, neither um, have I. because <laughs> i well you, you were so like you were a master of it you were so brilliant it was so fun to watch um but i think like a lot of things i tend to be really good at things very quickly like yes. at the beginning i tend to excel early on and yes. so it gives me the sense that everything is easy but then inevitably you reach the point where something is hard and it's yeah. like oh shit i've got to put the work in and that's where i've had stumbling blocks in the past is like when it gets hard i'm like oh i'll just go start something <laughs> else and it'll i'll get all the satisfaction of being good at it immediately <laughs> yes yes and you know what's interesting too oh i think there's a benefit in a i think there's a benefit in there too which is that you sort it quickly going eh, maybe that's not the thing i really also it's like when you hit the rough part is when you go do i really want to dedicate my time to this right there's, and th- there's improv, also that. it was like I, I did like uh, the auditions and I like, I don't know. I was a total basket case. My anxiety was like out of control and I was, and then I like took a step back and was like, it seems like everyone who is, who's being successful, who has a UCB pedigree made their own thing. thing. It's like, you know, yeah. there's like the occasional Aubrey Plaza story of like, she got plucked off Harold Knight and put on Parks and Rec. But for the most part, like at the time it was, you know, Abby and Alana and Broad City. It was, you know, Billy Eichner and yeah. um, like Nick Kroll. And yes. I was like, it, why do I care so much about getting on fucking Lloyd Knight, which is sort of like the JV UCB house yes. team. Yes. Um, I need to like actually do the thing which brought me to UCB, which is trying to write scripts and, and 
Yeah. I like that you were not afraid to slap to slap me down. And that's how I know I have someone in there who's worth their salt. Because you had no problem going, Anthony, you're talking way out of the zone of what you understand. Right? <laughs> and yeah. and that was fabulous. And you also talked openly about your anxiety, which I appreciated. And I feel like, interestingly enough, uh, here's another reveal. I was really dealing with anxiety, but not... I actually don't think I was processing it internally. I could only talk about it externally. So I could tell you guys how I would deal with it. I've only done that work in the last couple of years as well. And yeah. if you don't mind, how do you feel talking about what you've been dealing with? Because you've been open about it in class. I'm a super open book. I mean, yes. there's, there's, there's very little that I'm not exposed to the world <laughs> at this yeah. point. You well, know, yeah, that's I, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, I mean, like, I think for me, it took a really long time to pinpoint what's the difference between the anxiety and the depression, because mm -hmm. I experience both. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I read a book uh, a couple of years ago, which called this, like, put a name to this thing that I feel like I've been um, dealing with since I was a very child. And that's like your inner Woody Allen, like the <laughs> thing which is always doubting you, which is self-deprecating. And I think particularly when you get into like doing comedy, you, a lot of people have that inner Woody Allen and it becomes yes. the thing that you express. Like it becomes the base of your humor. Yes. Um, and what I had to learn was like, it's not the base of your humor. It's like your disordered thought pattern. And you need to be able to put that voice in check. Be like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just, all right, now that I know you're a pedophile Woody Allen, I'm not going to let you dictate my life. I'm going to put you in a corner. And when you start yelling, I'm going to be like, all right, shut up. You're a fucking pedophile. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's just yes. about learning how to, like, manage the different files in your brain. Well, it's um, interesting you say that. I do something called parts therapy, family parts therapy. Okay. So we call them, in my therapy, parts so you name your part and then you look at how that part, do, uh, how does that activate in you and how does that take over the sort of central commanding part? So like there's sort of the command Zeke or the command Anthony, the one that's sort of the one that's generally the hopefully the one steering the ship. Right. Right. Uh, but all these other parts or as I used to say in class, co the Congress of versions of you that are sort of taking over and you, we know this whenever we're, if you're triggered or if you lose it, you even say it, someone will say it. Oh, that wasn't me, you know, or yeah. I was taken over, right? That it's those idea that those parts, which don't live in time, they don't live in reality. They live within your mind in a reality within your mind. So they don't even understand their outward effect. So that's how I take that. It's like the Woody Allen part is this, Part And what we do is we let it take over and then we celebrate it without maybe understanding that it doesn't know because there's no part that can have a negative drive, right? They all have positive or not even positive. They just have they active have drives. Yeah. They have neutral. So yeah. go on. Yeah. So what well, no, the what you have just said is a like Western medicalization of Zen Buddhism. Oh, really? Like it's. Like if you were just to translate all of those words into like Zen Buddhist vocabulary, you would be saying the exact same thing. Really? Uh, yeah. 
um, because the essence of Zen Buddhism is yeah. that, you know, they, they call them, you know, talk more about thoughts than parts. Yes. Um, but that no thought is positive or negative. It's just exists and it's transitory. And it's whether or not you decide to give significance or emotion to a thought that yes. makes it positive or negative. Yes. Um, but that because like, but also thoughts are not real. Thoughts right. just like come into our mind. Um, right. So what you think is not reflective of who you are unless right. you give weight to those thoughts. Right. And in, in, in other words, the thought can pass and never have any meaning unless yeah. I bring it into the world and birth it into the world. Right. Exactly. Or birth it into my action. And then the, uh, the height, if we expand this sort of also to our sense of impermanence uh, or, or immortality would be that the ultimate act on the other end is to take a thought push it into the world, manifest it, and then actually see people gravitate to that physical manifestation of that thought as action, whether it is mm -hmm. a building I construct or a film I make or a, um, a book I write or a, a cup I craft, whatever it is. And then that is the immortality of that thought birthed into reality, right, as, as physical manifestation. Right. right, which and is that's why creativity. we want to build buildings and write books and be famous is so that we can be immortal. Yes, right. It's all based on our fear of death. Ah, so interesting. This is why, because we came <laughs> preloaded into this class with these thoughts, with with this already loaded, right? Yeah. And well, and, also, yes. I also have been. So I'm writing a, a novel right now, and. Part of the like the bad guy structure um, is this network of neo Nazis. So mm -hmm. I've also spent the past two weeks reading about neo Nazis, and I was like, yes. "Oh, this will be this will be perfect to talk about with Anthony." <laughs> yes, please. I mean, it's crazy to think how because I talk about that in class, and it's like that was gave me my edge on. If there's any edge on Trump that I had in the, that first cycle, yeah. it was seeing the language of white supremacy playing out so clearly. And to me, it was crazy how no one else saw it. And it's when I realized, wow, I really have a very different understanding of the world than most people because of my experiences and my willingness to have entered into really taboo corners of society. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. what are you batting? You're batting like a thousand on predicting things <laughs> Trump is going to do. Right. And yeah. <laughs> but it's But like, it's crazy to think, you know, we were, I was having this conversation with some friends last night, um, about how is comedy even, or let's just argue white male oriented comedy, the sort of predominant area of comedy that controls the industry that is where we get our broy fucking uh hangover movies and all this stuff right which by the way has some crazy transphobic shit in the it's, third it's one in, uh, it's in disclosure and uh, it a, is it, yes okay it, see i love that i this is you know i love where i'm lying where i know i'm like lined up and like i'm on the edge of it <laughs> i bet you i bet you just not seeing the film, I bet you could name ten comedies which make an appearance, make an appearance for being transphobic. Oh my god! Now don't put me on the spot because now I won't remember anything. Well, now well, I'll be what's like, your, what's your favorite movie? Oh, what's my favorite movie? Oh, to what? oh fuck, Tootsie! Yeah, of course. Yes, of course. You know what a heartbreak. Oh, well, we'll get into Tootsie because I saw the Broadway show and I could not believe 
how they did not acknowledge anything except for one throwaway line. There's yeah, and they actually worked with Glad. They worked with my guy at Glad, the head of transgender media, who like went to previews and workshops and was like, guys, like <laughs> they were like, just give us the rubber stamp. And he's like, no, you no, absolutely not. So what are you uh, looking into with the neo-Nazis right now? Do you mind sharing it or? Well, no, not at all. Um, yeah. So I guess I've mostly done uh, like half hour script writing, like, you know, like sitcom writing. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, and I've done a few feature, uh, written a few features as well, but I don't think anyone is going to be buying anything anytime soon. Um, no. So I was like, well, I've always wanted to write a mystery novel. Why not like take a crack at a mystery novel? Yeah. And the way I have it, or you know, so I did the outline, and then I was re getting advice about writing a novel. And one of the things is it needs to be a lot more specific and researched and accurate mm -hmm. than a film script does. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. You can bullshit your way through a film script. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or you can do like very cursory research. Right. Um, right. Bare bare minimum. Different with a novel. Um, yeah. So uh, there. I won't get into the mechanics of it, but I uh, I didn't realize how many different strains of neo-Nazis there are. Yeah. Or like, you know, variations of the alt-right or the alt-light, as some people like to call yes. it, like that strain. That's but what the Proud been... Boys are alt-light. Yeah. And you're um, like dressed like a bugaloo boy right now with your Hawaiian shirt. Look, I was wearing Hawaiian shirts on television four years ago. I started this trend. It is mine, and they cannot take it away from me. <laughs> I This is what I do on Coffee with Tony. I wore a Hawaiian, you know, Flossie, I went to Hawaii, but all these beautiful silk Hawaiian shirts from uh, Tom, Tom, Tommy Richards, which is like the only, oldest designer in Hawaii, in Honolulu. So these were like really expensive, beautiful shirts. And I do totally. not fucking apologize for buying great clothing and paying top dollar for it. And... I was wearing it and someone's like, oh, that's a bugaloo. And I'm like, no, this is not happening. We can't. And also that whole thing where people go, well, I'm traumatized. I get it when it's like something that's been around for 20, 30, 40 years. If it's a new thing that's been defined in the last three fucking months, you can't be traumatized by it. Yeah, Someone can't I, be traumatized I, by a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> well, it's like what queer, you know, what queer people do. It's like if people make it a bad thing, then we reclaim it for ourselves. It's like, fuck you. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Who invented saucy dressing? Who invented bright colors and bold patterns? That was us, bitch. Yeah, so that's right. Step the fuck off. Yes. <laughs> so there's so many types of Nazis. I love that so this many is types part of, of this podcast. But you know what is very has been very interesting to me is mm -hmm. I was reading through the American Nazi Party's platform. Yes. And such a big part of it is about environmentalism. And the return to an agrarian society and the use of clean energy. Wow. Uh, yeah. And like they're opposed to like pollutants. They're opposed to factory farming. There's a big portion on animal cruelty. And if you look at it, like a lot of the top Nazis were vegetarians. Yes. Yeah, so um, true Hitler, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it's he's part the of the top, top Nazi. Exactly. Um, and there is this, you know, it's not like 
while it's a big part of like the neo-Nazi platform, it's not like you see Nazis at climate change rallies. Right, right. Though, theoretically, that is a big part of their platform. Um, and I guess wow. the other interesting thing as well is there are, there's like people who are white supremacists, like alt-right people, or even I would say to some extent Trump, who want to make the United States a very, very racist place to live. Mm-hmm. And then there are the Nazis who want to see the downfall both of capitalism and the United States and yes. revert the world back to sort of a pre-industrial revolution world and build right. a white ethno state that is not the United States. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, those are the diehards. And here's yeah. the interesting thing. My wife discovered this the other day. Do you know that there's a lot of architectural architectural and uh, archaeological Twitter um, handles that are actually apparently it's a subculture of white supremacy. Really? Yeah. When we when we finish, I'll have Flossie send you the stuff because she followed this one like architecture account uh-huh. and then learned that it was essentially a dog whistle Nazi account. Yeah, they have all these like secret symbols, like like glasses of milk and yeah. Um, there are. I was actually just looking before we hopped on. Um, there, there are several books about Nazism and the occult, and yes. like you know, because Nazis aren't Christians. So, well, some yeah. Nazis are, but like hardcore Nazis aren't. But right. there's this whole system of like Aryan myths and cults, which yes. form the basis of like the the Nazi belief system. Well, let and me I'm give like, you something yeah. that you should know now, um, which is Blata- Blavatsky, who wrote The Secret Doctrine, right? Her name is like H.P. Blavatsky. I'm sort of, this is where like... That's fine. Okay. I can Google The Secret Doctrine. Blavatsky. Helen Blavatsky, okay? The Secret Doctrine. So she was a Russian occultist, but she really was essentially, her, her husband was literally a snake oil salesman. And I mean an actual <laughs> snake oil salesman, okay? Sure. She was the one who created the mythology of the Aryans being transporting the notion of Aryan as South Asian into Aryan as Norse. She's the one who did that, mm. okay? So when Hitler gets jailed, what is the book that Hitler is reading that inspires him to write Mein Kampf is The Secret Doctrine. Oh, so the occult system that Hitler starts to espouse and partly in his end, the focus on Jews is directly related to Blavatsky's book. Okay. Interesting. So that also explains yeah. why um, the, the, the swastika became central to Nazi iconography. Yes, which is interesting because you see it's like a, how it's a Hindu symbol of peace, right? Well, yeah, it's a Hindu symbol of peace, and you see a a a direct connection between the rise of new media formats and fascism, right? That's the first yes. one. So yep. Gutenberg's press leads to proto nationalistic states in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. They, they follow about uh, seventy years after. And then the rise of television or radio and film leads to national socialism in the European continent. And, of course, communism. And here as well. And and here as well. And the Bund, the American Bund. And mm-hmm. then we have the Internet. And what do we have? The rise of a new nationalism, not only around the world, but particularly in the United States. 
And in addition, Trump is a byproduct of conspiracy theories. QAnon, of course, is the cart before or after the horse. Sure. Um, but again, the intersection between repurposing and co-opting conspiracy and occultism to serve the purposes of white nationalism. And the fact that even the History Channel and you look at their white nationalist programming, which is uh, when you see those like, you know, ancient places and ancient secrets, ancient the, aliens. Yeah. yeah. And what's the general theme of them? That somehow these brown people could not have built these pyramids. They there must be aliens or some secret white race that actually did it. So we don't even <laughs> look at the fact of how much conspiracy mongering is anti-Semitism and white supremacy in disguise. Very well said. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Professor. All right. This is the perfect transition. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to leave this in because normally I've been trying to cut the parts where I talk for 20 minutes in the podcast, but this is such a perfect encapsulation of another <laughs> dynamic of when I would preach something to Zeke waiting for this big moment of approval for Zeke to go. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Great. You did it. And then we move on. <laughs> now we should, I think we do need to talk about sort of our, also the progression of your trans identity sure. and my understanding of you. Mm -hmm. And I think when your big reveal with me happened and it really deflated like a balloon when I went, okay, great. And then we just moved on. And you're right. Like, what am I supposed to say? I was like, you're not supposed to say anything. I just, you know, you're, you played an important part of my life and I thought you deserved to like hear it. Not from the television. At least I'm consistently a curmudgeon. Let's yes. let's say this. Right. So but let's start before we will craft this sort of like a little bit of a story yep. is that you enter into this into my classroom. And here I see, in my view, uh, you know, a pleasant, uh, expressive gay boy who's yep. my student. That that's that's what I know. And, yep. and I know also a really supportive audience member who, who I, who I abuse regularly on stage as I do with only my prized audience members in the Tony show. Uh, so well, thank you. Yeah. So, so I guess let me give a little, like, yes, you know, my, the, the pre Tony era. Yes. So I, I transitioned in college and that was like 12 years ago, which is like a million years ago in terms of trans equality. Like it, it was not great. I got super depressed. I had to leave for a while, came back, finished up. And then, you know, by the time I graduated, I, I, I looked like, it, it, you know, I wanted to look like and how my documents had changed. And I got a job at a documentary production company in New York and I was just Zeke and nobody knew me as anything else. And like, it was the first time I just like got to like be me and be a dude and like move on with the world. And so that was nice. And coupled with the fact that like, I didn't have any trans guy elders and there's no trans representation in television. Mm -hmm. And I understood what it meant to try to explain being trans all the time. It didn't want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, I just, I just want to tell anybody. Um, and there was no long-term game plan. It was just like, well, we're just not, I'm just not going to tell everybody. I'm having a good time. We're going to keep going. I start doing improv um, and, and meet you and uh, having a great, time taking improv classes with you and i'm gonna you know i he abuses me regularly on on stage and we can go back to that um and then i i decided to go on my favorite uh reality show 
Survivor. I do one season, things are fine. I do a me- another season, an all-star season immediately. Um, I get like outed as transgender and I have nine months between it happening and it airing to sort of like go put my ducks in a row. Right. Um, and because really, aside from people I slept with, who I, I, I kept in a very separate box from my social box, the the comedy world, I didn't tell anybody. And like right. I had really, really good friends that just didn't fucking know. Right. Um, so, yeah. So um, aside from uh, being a great improv teacher and, and lecturer of all things philosophical and cons- conspiracy, um, <laughs> I used to go to Anthony's show, The Tony Show, and I was a little, like, I mean, I think you were aware of it, but I, like, I had a big crush on you. I had a big, like, I was hot for teacher. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, I was like, ooh. Um, which is why I let you, you know, put me on stage and humiliate me time after time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. This is verging on my, this is my cancel moment, everybody. Uh, <laughs> no, why? I'm I'm I, everything was purely consensual on my end. But yeah, no, but what so, people don't know is Zeke was 12 at the time. Yes. True. <laughs> Uh, I was chanting my inner Woody Allen. (laughs) (laughs) No, so, but I had a a very important moment at the Tony show. So this was, I just started doing improv. Anthony didn't know, and nobody knew that I was trans. And he calls me up on stage, and you were doing your character, like your old man. This is the workout character, the physical trainer. Yes. Um, And told me to take my shirt off. And I'd never really taken my shirt off in public because I've got scars on my chest. They're not super visible, but they're there. And you're like, take your shirt off. And I just like, I just did it. I said, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And <laughs> I said, yes. And like, it was fine. Nobody noticed. Nobody cared. And life moved on. And, and I greased like, Zeke. Let's not leave this part out. Oh, that yeah. I greased Zeke up with like baby oil, olive oil, baby oil, and like baby rubbed oil. and was like, and I rubbing got you back you. too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I got you back. I rubbed. And cause the whole thing was my, I was this old man who like the whole thing was just oiling up. Mind you, this show was predicated on the fact that I had been working out and wanted to show this off to the audience. Yes. Mind I could you. tell when you felt good about your body because then you would like be basically in your underwear at the Tony show. <laughs> yes, that's so true. And then I would get fat again and be like, well, <laughs> let's do a lot of draped characters this month. <laughs> but so, yes, yeah, so this moment happened. Sorry. Yeah, it was the first time I took my shirt off in public and like nobody knew anything or saw anything or if they did, nobody said anything. And it was like, everything is fine. And yeah. it just gave me this confidence about my body that I had never, ever had before. Um, and I remember being like ecstatic, like walking home be like, Oh my God, it's so great. And then the next morning there are pictures. Someone took pictures and like posted them to your Facebook account. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Now are people going to freak out about the pictures? And then nothing happened. And I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, maybe things aren't as bad. There was one time though, you tried to grab my balls and you couldn't find them. And, um, really like, yeah, there's one time you tried to cut my ball. Uh, You were being a doctor, I think. And you tried to cut my balls and you're like, I could tell you're like, I think you said like, oh, I, I don't think your balls have dropped yet, Zeke. And I was like, ah. oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God, help me. Oh, oh, no, that is that's so interesting. And what I love is it. I love in this story is like there's the story of a man. There's the story of an old man who doesn't know what's happening. And yeah. that's and I'm that character who's <laughs> like constantly out. So did now to go back and sort of retroactively look at this, 
And I, these are where I am going to ask some questions because I don't want to speak out of turn and I don't want to speak for things I don't understand. Sure. That's one thing I've definitely learned over the last 10 years is to figure out where to speak with authority and where I need to park it. And one thing my wife was talking about was sort of the idea of the trans reveal as being directly connected to trans violence. Right. Yes. Yep. And and we see this in Tootsie. Right. We see that in the reveal in, I mean, and obviously Tootsie is not a great example because it's not really about trans identity, you know, and it's, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like people would say that that's not true, but still the representation of the reveal in just one of the guys, the reveal, which is associated with rejection and violence, right? Yep. Um, so one, do you want to elaborate on that? The well, I feel like I should point you towards uh, this great documentary that I'm in called Disclosure on Netflix. There comes the plug. It's Disclosure. <laughs> By the way, don't confuse it with the Michael Douglas reverse sexism movie of the same name, Disclosure. Well, ours is Disclosure Trans Lives on Screen. Okay. I guess. <laughs> or else can... everyone's going to be seeing Demi Moore going, he put his penis in my mouth. <laughs> Do you know that? Have you ever seen Disclosure? I, I haven't, but my okay. uh, first kiss was with Demi Moore's daughter, Rumor Willis. Get out. We were roommates at theater camp. Holy shite. Is this a reveal, an exclusive? Um, I tell this is, story a lot. I don't know that it's ever like, been recorded, but maybe it has. But yeah. Perfect. We, had a, we used to like sleep in the same little like top bunk bed together. We had a whole little, little oh. fling when we were 12 years old. Oh, rumors, rumors. Yes. And then when I was a bit older, uh, yeah. my roommate was Joe Firestone, the very like funny oh, comedian Joe yeah, Firestone. I, I didn't know that. Um, but I've never run, even though we oh. operate in similar circles, we never run into her. And I'm always like, oh, I can't wait to, to tell her. That's <laughs> crazy. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's wild. So wait, uh, uh, hold on though. Uh, so sure. in terms of the reveal in this violence, um, so was there... When when this happened, and I and obviously I know this this is areas you've run over so much, and so I don't want to like stay too much in running over that. But one, yes, definitely see disclosure and give me the full title again. Disclosure: Trans lives on screen. Trans lives on screen. Um, that uh, uh, this reveal and the idea of the reveal when this happened was is it is it automatic in you? that it kicks in of like the fear of retribution and violence that might come from this? Um, so let's, so the history of trans reveals in film and television have typically led to violence and rejection. And that's, you know, if you think about the end of Ace Ventura, you think about the crying game, oh, yeah. um, you think about boys don't cry. There is this whole, you know, idea of the genitals being exposed and violence coming after that. Um, right. Which is accurate to um, how, in particular, a lot of black and brown trans women in real life, they, um, you know, someone is attracted to them, whether or not like they're dating, they're kissing, they're on whatever. If like a, a man finds a trans woman attractive and then later finds out that she's trans, there is a strong correlation towards violence and, and murder um, right. of, of those those people. So right. I got outed at tribal council on Survivor. So. Um, I, uh, it really, it threw me into a place of shock, mm. but what was great about that moment that differed from other trans outings is that everybody stood up for me. 
Um, There was like a pretty diverse like coalition of like seven people who were all like, no, absolutely not. And so Mm. I got to be in my little like fugue state for a while so I could Mm. put my words back together. But everyone, all of my like tribe mates and Jeff Probst, the host, was like, no, like, yeah, this is terrible. Absolutely not. And we just we didn't vote. We just sort of like kicked him out. Um, Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, You know, so I mean, I guess I should. I, I, I survivor. I'm a housewives guy. It's the problem is I'm such a housewives guy. That's fine. Oh, I have a little I have a Bravo quick story for you. Quick. Oh, please do. You Um, know, I'm a a Bravo liberty. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Nico and I are looking for uh, a house and we went to go see a house on Sunday and we walked right up and Reza from Shaws of Sunset was screaming at a team of contractors. No. <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? I, I'm very serious. And like he didn't and like we we walk up with our realtor um and we're like, "Oh my god, what's happening?" And then he's like, "Oh no, yes, you can totally come and look at the house and it is very nice to us." But Nico and I see him and we're both like, "You see? You see? Yeah." yeah, yeah. Um, As uh this season <laughs> let's just get on there for just a second. This season of Shaz was dark. I don't watch it. I just know. Oh, my God. Oh, it was so dark. Well, I'll just tell you, it was some it's it's the whole Bravo verse is just getting darker and darker. I feel like as people age, it's like we're seeing things that we should not see about these people. Um, But so I, you know, I didn't. um, I, I almost feel like I don't. They aired that. Right. They aired your. Yeah, it made global I headlines. I don't know if I can I was watch on the it. local news in India. Yeah, I can't really. Yeah, it was everywhere. <laughs> I did the yeah. talk uh, oh, with yeah. Julie Chen before, oh, before really? Julie Chen had her moment. Yeah. Yes. You know what? Julie Chen and Les Moonves, I ran into them a few times in Hollywood, and they were always super nice to me, and they always remembered my name. And I mean, I know he's a predator, but I'm like, right. you know, Les Moonves always remember my name. It made me feel pretty cool. <laughs> well, it's always <laughs> different when you're on the inside of an orbit, right? Yeah. Because you see someone differently and, you know, you know, I listen, I run into this like, you know, Stern did. I've been on Stern a bunch of times and Stern also did that Hillary Clinton interview. And I got all jazzed about, you know, that he finally got his Hillary Clinton interview because he had been talking about it for years since I had been on the first time in 2016. I tweeted about it and people were like, how could you, you know, how dare you? He's giving a platform. And I'm like, God, I'm like, relax, relax. Like he interviewed Hillary Clinton. It's okay. The, the, the vitriol of who you was, of you even having tangential associations with people or saying something about someone like, hey, in my experience, this person was this way to me. It, people take that as some endorsement, right? Yeah. I always say this, and I think the religious part of you take this in too, or the studier of it, which is empathy is not endorsement. Empathy oh, totally. is, is just, and I really feel like, it's interesting. I want to switch gears, but keep it in the same gear, which is empathy. <laughs> you, empathy is something that I feel is so nuanced and not understood. Right. Yeah. And I feel like empathy is also a skeleton key to all of these different things that we are facing down from trans recognition to violence, to representation, to black lives matter, to issues with poverty, to issues of diversity of, uh, uh, of, of, of representation on screen of all people of color. And also, um, 
uh, the hatred of women, right? All totally. these different things. Empathy is the key, which empathy is the, the skeleton key that allows someone, it's a gift to someone to say, listen, empathizing means that you get to understand where someone comes from. But if within your heart or in your mind, you haven't come around to maybe operatively inside understanding or getting over the fears of whatever difference you have a fear of, right? Right. Empathy is the thing that is the way that you're able to operate in society peaceably with each other mm -hmm. outwardly and allow yourself the time within your own mind, whether that's fair or not or right or not, to come around to whatever acceptance you need to have, right? Sure. And I think for me, it's two parts, right? I think that especially if you are queer or person of color or a woman, you get so many negative images and ideas implanted to you at an impressionable age and that you carry around. And I don't even think it's unique to, to marginalized groups. I think everyone, it's a universal human experience um, that like you carry a, amount, a certain amount of shit on your back. Mm. And I think that in order to be an effective empathizer, you first have to start to rid yourself or at least be conscious of your own self-hatred. Right. Mm -hmm. Because just like we value the things we see in people who we believe are to be like us, we also doubly hate the things that we see in people that we hate in ourselves. Right. 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 Um, right. So I think that like that that is part one is like dealing with your own self-hatred or at least being able to acknowledge it. Um, yeah. And then the other part is being able to extrapolate your experience to someone else's, even though if it's not the same. Like, I always have this deal with, like, cis gay dudes, like, most of whom are pretty cool now, but every now and one, you'll get one that just, like, decides that he gets to ask you all the questions about being trans. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, what What it always shocks me is that gay guys in particular who 15 years ago were getting asked questions about, like, well, how do you have sex? And, like, you know, mm -hmm. what does it mean if you're bisexual? And, and all of these questions, which are really parallel to the questions we ask trans uh, intimate questions you ask trans people and i'm always surprised that people can't like ex extrapolate their own experience right you know what i mean right, right to be like well being gay was this thing that has always been with me um and it took me a while to put my finger on it and then to accept it about myself and express it outwardly so like why can't gender identity follow that same <laughs> path <laughs> right Right. Why? Why? Well, don't you think that people look outward so much and don't look inward? Yes, totally. And do you think that th this is where I'm trying to keep both gears running at the same time, which is from your understanding of, of theology, do you think that we, you know, I'm certainly not a fan of organized systems. And at the same time, organized systems were sort of how we see the sedimentary layers of different philosophies and maps. And, you know, lately I've been reading Neville Goddard. I don't know if okay. you know Neville Goddard. Um, uh, I haven't read Goddard in in many a moon, but I'm passingly familiar. Really fascinating in terms of his interpretation of the idea of the deity and Christ story and all these things being metaphors for our own internal experiences and that the Bible is a roadmap of psychological states and evolutions it's both it's representative of an internal god system not an external system but they are both the same yes in a way. i i often say that um if you look at catholic ritual mm -hmm. that was therapy before we had therapy right forgiving right. yourself confessing your sins like yes taking self-inventory reflecting like that yeah. 
that was how people manage their mental health before we had therapists. Right. Um, but I think the, uh, you know, part of the, the, the problem with Christianity and democracy is mm-hmm. that there is a tension between justice and mercy, mm-hmm. right? Christianity preaches mercy. Um, right. It's not so concerned with justice, right? Justice belongs to God. It's right. it's our job to be unconditionally loving and, and unconditionally forgiving, Um mm-hmm. But we live in a society which is premised upon fairness and justice, right? Um, which we have largely interpreted as vengeance instead mm. of like rehabilitation. If you want to look at the prison system, right? So that right. people think they are always owed something or do something, um, yes. they are entitled to something. Where Christianity teaches you not to be entitled to anything, though that is not what you will hear preached in any sort of mega church or evangelical church these days no no the opposite which is how do you get your brand new car right exactly yeah which is the same as the secret i mean the the thing though is you know that that these sort of industries that crop up around sort of i'm spiritual but i you know but i'm not religious so now i believe in the secret or i believe in what what the belief do we know but then you realize that the secret for some reason is an ancient philosophy that's about getting you a new car a bigger boat and and property yeah. and property on receivership from a bank why is that true <laughs> like why why is it this ancient egyptian idea that's carried through thousands of generations is only to satisfy and serve you right Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like if you, I've never read the book, The Secret, but oh, no, I, I um, in my like pursuit of cult study, watched part of the secret documentary, which I couldn't, I couldn't get through the entire thing, but I got through no. like 15 minutes, but you're right. It's all like people who are wealthy business leaders. They're probably like, you know, in debt up to their tits and, you know, frauds, but you know, <laughs> appearingly wealthy people being like, I used the secret and now I have a helicopter. <laughs> Yes. If you just put it out into the universe, they'll bring it back. I mean, we have like, there's not like, this is what we call goal setting. It's like, if you write specific goals, you're more likely to accomplish them. And like, the more you like put a goal in a visible place where you see it every day, you're more likely to stay committed to that goal. Cause it just reminds yourself that that's what you're motivated to do it's right that's that's a vision board it's a fucking goal exactly you're reconstructing (laughs) your reality you reconstruct your reality well this is why i also like about neville goddard and his talk his his thoughts on prayer which is that prayer is not wishing to something for something right and it also isn't just meditation in his estimation it is this act which i kind of get because i've had it happen my kind of whole life on and off automatically. And then I, when he articulated it, it was very interesting to go, Oh, that's what that is. I would have these sort of dissociative moments where I basically would sort of be spacing out, but it was more than spacing out. It was envisioning something happening as a result of sort of things that maybe aren't clear, but I'm seeing the result. Right. And I'm having an intense emotional moment with that result. And I'm in that place. I'm not even in the living room or wherever. And then I would come out of it and I'd be like, oh, that was so great. And it would sit with me as this image. And then what I find find is that my life would then catch up with that moment. Does that make sense? It totally does. It would like catch up with that emotion. And then he said, that's prayer. Prayer is 
the emotional attachment to a sort of moment and that it's not so much a verbal or you can't articulate, you can't quantify it as, as anything, right? Yeah. There is a word for it really. I mean, people say visualization, but then that sort of means you're trying to draw up an image in your mind and so I on. I think the academic term is aporia. Really? A-P-O-R-I-A. God, I love this. Is I love Zeke. We're now talking like on the regular. <laughs> Isn't it totally. funny how people fall out? You know, I mean, I'm also the worst. You know, I mean, I talk to my wife. That's like pretty much, a, you know. Yes, it is. Okay, yes, yes. An irresolvable internal contradiction or logical disjunction. Is yes. that not right? Uh, if it's A P O R I A, that's what that is. It's an expression of doubt. Oh, then maybe, maybe I'm that, wrong. Maybe that's your feeling around what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there is, there is, I know what you're talking about. Um, and there, there are several ways to explain it. There is, there's like actually a neurological way to explain it, right? We have like, uh, our, our, our brain operates at different wavelengths. Like, you know, mm -hmm. there's like alpha, beta and delta states, um, yes. And like one is when you're sleeping and one is when you are uh, like awake and conscious and alert. And then there is another one, which is sort of when you're like regressed inward. That's um, alpha. We, we're in beta now. Yeah. Then you're in alpha and that's eight. And then there's sleep spindles or theta. And then there's yes. delta, which is the God's eye where there's no activity in the brain. But yet sometimes people still dream in it, which is strange. And yes. then there's REM. And yes. then that cycle continues. Yes. You, you know more about it than I do, but there is sort of, <laughs> you are, I give, I see the point. I see the point. <laughs> no, I just love, I, you know, <laughs> I love that we've, we've moved so far away and I want to return back to it, but this is the, so this was a, an interesting thing I had coming into this. I know you as Zeke yep. and I, and I, and I, and with your revelation, I, you know, I don't want to be the person I wouldn't be the person who goes, well, I, you know, that doesn't matter to me. Of course it matters to me. It's part of your identity. It's part of who you are. And at the same time, it's like, I think about the idea of like that, like for the purposes of this podcast, I want to talk about your trans experience and, and know it as I know you because sure. it's part of the reason of you coming on. And then at the same time, you spoke about earlier, this part of you that enjoyed this period of anonymity of identity where you weren't defined by this. And I have two questions, which is, do you wish you could go back to that? Or are you glad that this is now incorporated ultimately into who you are and, and, and that you're unified in that and, or, and are you, uh, and, and I guess that's where I want to start. Sure. So I guess we have to rewind a little bit because I've always been Zeke. Like I'm, I'm a yes. gay guy, but I'm a very broy gay guy. Um, yes. And I have always been like that since I was very little. And it was, I grew up in central Oklahoma where gender norms are very important. And mm -hmm. it was a problem that I, I was different, that I wanted to hang out with boys, that I wanted to play football, that I sort of always had a masculine way about me. And that's something that I came into conflict with my parents about, with like, you know, how long my hair could be and what I could wear. And it was also a reason why my evangelical teachers didn't like me. And I could mm -hmm. never, I, I, I had very few friends. So when I, the first like label I had to 
put like a name to what I was feeling was those like, oh, I'm a dyke. I'm a lesbian Mm -hmm. because that was the first like exit I saw on the highway towards cargo shorts and football jerseys Um, (laughs) or being an improviser. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is who I am. And there were no queer adults around me growing up. There were no other queer kids. I was really the first kid to ever be out and like got a lot of hostility from the evangelicals about that. And then when I got to college, I got um, I was like the first thing I did is I was like, I'm going to go find the other lesbians and we're going to les it up. And then it became very clear, like, I didn't fit in with them either. Yeah. That, that what, because I got to define what that meant myself at home, when I was with others, they were like, absolutely not. And they're like, are you trans? And I was like, what's that? I've never heard of that. Because aside right. from Boys Don't Cry, there was no real example of trans people in, in the media. And I don't think that most people were like, oh, yeah, I'm like that guy who got, like, raped and murdered. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So uh, it took a couple of years to put the pieces together and like understand what it meant to be a trans guy. And, you know, two years after getting to college, I was like, okay, I'm trans. And then when I was transitioning, it was the same thing. I felt in evangelical high school back in Oklahoma city. It was a lot of hostility, a lot of questions, losing a lot of friends. And then it was like, I didn't, I just got to be normal. I just got to be like everybody else. And I just cherished that so much. And I didn't want to lose that. I didn't want to lose the friendships I had, particularly like I had a lot of friendships with straight guys that I really enjoyed. Um, I was telling uh, Anthony earlier that I was the best man uh, at the the wedding of a guy I met in in an improv class with him. And like, he's the greatest guy. He is my best friend. I love him so much. He just had a kid. Got married, oh, his kid. Yeah. Wonderful. Her name's Emma. She's the cutest. Oh, and, wow. you know, that friendship meant so much to me. And I was like, I don't want my being trans to fracture this friendship. Um, yeah. You know, like, I just want to get a chance to just be one of the other gay guys. That's all I right. want. But right. then, you know, of course, someone who is pursuing a career in the entertainment industry, you know, mm. notoriety and secrets don't quite go that well together. Right. So, I went on reality television and I had been like living as a non-disclosing trans person for so long being, you know, in all states of undress in front of the public and was like, Mm -hmm. you know, it comes up, it comes up. I'm not too worried about it. So I do my first season. Everything's fine. And then I get out in the second season and, um, you know, really everything changed. Like every part of my life changed. Every relationship I had changed. Mm. Um, But I, I'm glad that it went that way for a couple of reasons. And the first is that, I learned who I was aside from being trans because mm-hmm. when people know you're trans, you're the trans person all the time, but I just right. got to be Zeke, you know? Yes. And I feel like I, not to speak poorly of other trans people, but I feel like I'm better adapted to the world than people who have like carried the trans flag above their head, um, right. their entire lives. Right. And right. then I got to go through this like new process of self discovery of making sense of being trans when the whole world was cheering me. Like, I was worried when I was outed that everyone would hate me, but everybody fucking loved me. Like, it was great. I got such an outpouring of love, unlike I'd felt any other time when my, you know, transness had been known. And so I got to, like, be, you know, kind of, like, have my second coming out, but it be a really, really positive one. And be a one where I met a lot of guys at gay bars who were like, I have jerked off to you. Let's go hook up and be like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll be back in just a moment after a message from our sponsor. 
Do you love gaming? Do you love streaming? Do you love comedy? Then you'll cream your jeans when you streams Shabby Fatty. Shabby Fatty? No, that's Shabby Fatty. On Twitch. What's Twitch? Only the number one gamer streaming platform, and Tony's on it, playing with his friends. TV's members, John Gemberling, Gamertag, Pleasant Prick, plus Chatmaster, Sam Gripple. Tune in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 12.15 a.m. Eastern, 9.15 p.m. Pacific, for all the laughs and action at twitch.tv backslash shattyfatty. That's twitch.tv backslash s-h-a-t-t-y-f-a-t-t-y. And once you follow and subscribe to Shatty Fatty, you must follow and subscribe to Johnny G's Twitch stream as well. That's twitch.tv backslash pleasant prick. That's twitch.tv backslash p-l-e-a-s-a-n-t-p-r-i-q-u-e. Tune in today. A world on the brink. And as humanity strives to survive, we search for the light in the darkness. Well, your search is over. The real Tony on Patreon is the mighty torch of reason in unreasonable times. Support and subscribe to patreon.com backslash the real Tony and gain access to exclusive footage, audio, photos, and early podcast releases. Support for The Real Tony on Patreon ensures that Coffee with Tony and all Tony-related products and creations will exist for all perpetuity in all times and universes. A basic subscription is just $5 a month. Go to patreon.com backslash therealtony and subscribe today. Civilization is counting on you. First off, when you were going to tell me and you said you did Survivor, the first thing I want you to know that I thought when you were like, because I could tell you were going to tell me something. You know what I mean? You could tell when someone's gearing sure, up to I tell you something. I was nervous to tell you, yeah. What's so funny is I thought you were going to tell me you won. <laughs> like That's what I thought you were going to tell me. Is that like you won? I'm like, God, okay. Like, I get it, Zeke. You're one Survivor. Big fucking deal. Right? Like, that was like, I was like, all right, well, why are we building up to this? So did you, I, it's interesting to me because, um, I remember it. I remember walking away from going, did I not honor what you told me enough? Because in my mind, I wanted to really honor you in my thinking. I was like, you know, I don't want you to feel like I see you differently now that you told me this. Sure. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, thank you. I get it. That's good. I think I made some joke. And then I said, all right, let's go watch the show. But I've always, I think I'm thinking now about, did I not honor it enough? And did I not maybe take a moment to go how much I appreciate you would be that vulnerable and, and that you would even come to me to, to tell me that, that, that you saw me as a, a significant person in your life to, yeah. to do that? Well, I, you know, I don't think we'd seen each other in about a year because um, yeah. I had stopped going to the Tony show and hanging around the, the scene and whatnot. Yeah. And um I think it's funny because I, I sat, you know, there's like a seat that I always, my volunteer spot, I always sat there. So I was like, I'm going to sit in my spot. And you're like, I need a volunteer. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> um, and then you're doing the show with Connor Ratliff. And I guess Connor is a Survivor fan. So he was like, oh, you're the guy from Survivor. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. 
And yeah, I think, you know, I was nervous because I hadn't been outed in the global scene yet. Right. right. So it was still these very intimate moments of being like, hey, you know, you still want to be my friend? (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. But you were like, I think you said, um, I don't know how to respond. Like, okay, whatever. Um, And I think that was great. Because I, I think it takes a second to process. If you've known someone for so long and then you find out a piece of information that like really changes your understanding of the history of that person, like it yes. does take a second to process. And yes, yes. When I, you know, when I was having to tell people who are really good friends one on one, a lot of people I was like, come over to my house. I'm going to fire up the grill. We're going to like grill up some steaks and drink some beers. And I would like start the night off being like, all right, here's a deal. And like we've got three hours to eat steak and drink beer and talk about because um, yeah. it did it took people a long time to make sense of it not in like a, a bad way like oh god like you know I don't know who Zeke is but like oh wow what do I do with this information and it's not like I had a guide to give people to be like here is how to process what you now know about me yeah yeah we're, well, we're no. all just making it up I am strangely able to open and not open and so what I take in from you was here you are this very open person in class so open I mean, you really were a, a an open book in class, and there and yet, uh, and and so my question is: Was there a tension that entire time for you, of like this? I'm not fully realizing who I am, or was there a satisfaction in I'm Zeke, this man, this broy man, gay man who does improv, yeah. like that? That's my, or was it both? Well, it, it depended because. For most of the time, I just compartmentalized it. I just took like right. all that like childhood and college bullshit, and I just like put it in the back of my brain, and mm. I, just, I just didn't think about it because being trans wasn't really affecting my life. Um, yeah. And I, you know, like I said, I had my little separate like sex circle that I used to <laughs> satisfy those needs, and I just, you know, I had it. You know, I, I think the. The, the only time I really felt like conflicted was I was part of this gay improv team. All gay guys were now called Judith. Yes. And um, there were two guys in particular who would like often say transphobic things. Um, Interesting. Or would like point out, you know, trans women and like say nasty things about them or be like trans people are like Rachel Dolezal and transracial. If trans people can be trans and transracial people can be transracial and you know, we would get into arguments and I would get really upset and no one would understand. Right. Um, and right. actually one of those people, uh, before I got a chance to tell all of the Judith guys, one of the Judith, one Judith guy sort of like got the tip and outed me to everybody and then didn't tell me he outed me to the entire group. Um, Jesus. Yeah. So uh, it, it, anyway, um, so like that's I think where there was always this conflict because we would go on these gay ca- gay vacations to right. like Fire Island or wherever and right. part of the fun is like going to underwear parties like just in your undies and like mm-hmm. hooking up with guys and you know there was a lot of anxiety there about like how do I how do right. I handle this situation right. um and how do I make sure like you know it, and I could never really enjoy it I always had these walls up So ultimately better like, in other words, ultimately, despite the sort of it seems like not even better, it seems like that was a stage you had to be in at a point in your life where you needed to understand your identity as yourself. Right. But then eventually 
things start pouring in where it goes, oh, now there's a new set of barriers. Like you right. go, you you shut certain barriers and then there's new barriers. And so ultimately you couldn't the, the sustain like thing that. About, yeah. Like, for example, going to that first underwear party was, is I was like, well, I have to go because I can't yeah. tell them why I don't want to go. So then I went and everything was fine, just like taking my shirt off at the show. Yeah. And I don't know if I was always like openly trans. I think I would have put that barrier up for myself. I would have used that excuse to say like, oh, no, 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 I can't go. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I've gone and it's fine. And now I go in the future. I was at an underwear party um, in in Provincetown back in Massachusetts in oh, yeah. October. Yeah. And I, um, I was there for this thing called Spooky Bear Weekend, which is sort mm -hmm. of like, you know, a fun little Halloween berry fuck fest. And is it is it for furries? Like is it for for bears? Is that why yeah, for, it's called for spooky bears bear? and cubs? Yeah, you're you're a Showing cub more than a bear, right? Oh, that just I guess. You know, have you aged 40, into a bear, a bear. <laughs> Have you aged into a bear yet, Zeke? No. Um, I've decided that I become a bear at forty, and I will have a big party, and it will be called my bear mitzvah. <laughs> my headphones flew off from that one, by the way. Um. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, like, so I was, you know, dancing with this guy and I grabbed his crotch and he grabbed my crotch and he was like, oh, are you trans? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, cool. That's um, great. Which is a lot of the experience that I've had. Like, you know, I, I very much go and in, in, enjoy gay bar culture. Um, yeah. And like, I would say within the past three years, like, I I have no anxiety about being like, oh, I'm trans because most of the time the guy's like, oh, right, cool. or like, oh, yeah, yeah. I've hooked up a trans guy before. So where do you think we're at? I mean, because I know I'm, I also don't want to tax your time too much. And I also don't want to monster edit here. Because um, <laughs> I'm going to try to just keep all of this in. You know, yeah. that's the thing. There's is also I don't, a story yeah. I want to tell because I've never told anybody the story because we promised to keep it secret. But now I feel like I can tell the story. Okay, so tell let's tell the story and then we'll do our sort of look to the future thing as our closeout. Great. So I'm excited. Tell me this story. Uh -oh. So I don't know if you remember, but one time after the Tony show, we were smoking your one hitter in the like the stock room, the basement of yes. the UCB East. And we set off the fire alarm. And the immediate reaction was for everybody to go and hide in the toilets, thinking it'll go up, but it'll it'll go on, but then it'll it'll turn off. But then it didn't, and it kept going, and there was an evacuation order. And I thought we were all in it together. But as soon as I hear the evacuation order, I hear Anthony open the door and split. And like, not like knocking on the door, not like being like, guys, we got to get out of here. Totally in it for himself, leaves us hanging. So like, I wait like another minute and like, okay, fuck, we just got to go. And so, you know, I go out and then I try to like, just like casually walk out with everyone else who is, you know, evacuating open mic night. Um, and then I turn up the street to go home and you're sitting in like a chase bank atm i guess like waiting for me to come out and you pull me and you're like not a word never not a word <laughs> yes <laughs> you, oh my god i can't believe that you just told that story but i'm glad the beast is closed now well ucb so, like, doesn't exist in new york anymore <laughs> i know oh i mean i First off, that was the best thing in the world because I remember there was a debate right before about whether it would set off the smoke alarm. And I very overconfidently went, it's fine. It's fine. What's the big fucking deal? This open. So it happens and it was like 
like the bat alarm where it's like, like it wasn't, it was like, and it's true. I figure, oh my God, (laughs) I've got to get out of here. I think someone had just yelled at me about smoking down there too. And I ran out and you know what I did? I ran around out the side and then came around to where everyone was evacuated and walked up and went, Hey, what's going on? I've been out. <laughs> and I like really made it like I had been out on the street. I'm a sick, I'm a psychopath. Um, and yes. And I went, not a word. And you kept your word till this day, Zeke. I, I have to. Yes. Well, I don't feel uh, that it's going to compromise our careers. <laughs> so what do you think is the future here? In terms of things have accelerated so much, my some of my admissions are going to be that like, like any white man from first off, I feel like I am always educating myself and trying to become more thoughtful and shed programmed things that come up in my mind, you know, that I realize are not thoughts that I hold, mm-hmm. but yet I, but they show up, you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. And I think I remember even as late as probably, you know, 2010 or 12 teaching and sort of being like, well, you can use this slang. I can say this slang. It's not a big deal. Right. And not understanding the violence around it, not understanding and wanting to, that sort of thing I see now. And it's like, makes me so sort of uncomfortable and disgusted with the idea of like, I need to possess this offensive thing because I need to be able to say it. Right. Well, so right. Like, I feel like yeah. there was that ethos at UCB when, when I started around 2012, where yes. like being funny and being subversive meant using taboo language or like, you know, yes. as, or doing your favorite, like doing nine 11 jokes. Um, yes. But yes. I still think you're funny. I mean, those are still great. Let's yes. not, let's not go crazy. <laughs> but there was, no. there was sort yeah. of this, like, you know, yeah, we're like in a basement and we're like saying words we're not supposed to, but we don't right. mean them offensively. We're like being ironic and cool. Yeah. Um, we're and, subverting this prejudice by duh, duplicating it. Yeah. Um, which is like, <laughs> It's like one thing where queer people are like, oh, we're going to reclaim the word queer. I'm going to reclaim the word faggot. Uh, But I think what we were doing at UCB was reclaiming words not on behalf of identities we represented. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I think that not to plug this movie, I'm just really excited about it. Um, Please plug away. Is that disclosure. I I think one of the things that's very mind opening for people is that by showing that images of trans people have existed on screen like since the dawn of of moving images dw uh, griffith dw griffith and and even yeah, yeah dw griffith it's we start with dw griffith which is at the very beginning mm-hmm. um and i think for a lot of people they're going to realize their ideas of what a trans person is have been formed by the images that they have seen on screen mm-hmm. which have been written not by trans people which you know in which trans people have been used as a device they have been developed as a trope um and that it's it's something like you're going to be like oh yes i know this after you watch and yeah as far as representation goes, I think the future of trans representation is trans people having control over their own stories, where mm. we are the ones writing the stories and directing the stories and, you know, 
winning awards for playing ourselves, right? Because yeah. what gets people an Oscar faster than oh. playing a trans person? Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> You're either play a trans person or play a prostitute, right? Yeah. Uh, or or, or uh, play a slave, right? Those yep. are sort of the three... Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's like how we go, oh, you're rewarded in this very small, and the industry is so prejudicial and nobody fucking admits it. But keep right. going. Sorry, um, sorry. But, you know, I look, I am very lucky that my experience in the public eye was people watched me on Survivor for nine months and they rooted for me and they liked me and I'm just the goofy guy with the mustache and the Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Again, I invented it. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Magnum P.I. It was you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, they got to know me for like nine months in the same way that you got to know me. And then they learned that I was trans. And I think that shifted in their minds right. what a trans person is just because they got to see a real trans person like living their life and doing their thing. And um, I think like we hope to be on the path um, like gay people, at least in, you know, blue states where people can be gay and it's just like, yeah, that's fine. Right. You know, who right. cares? Uh, so yeah. I think that's that's the goal, and I I think we're moving towards that goal. Um, we're not like the the tone of the movie doesn't end as optimistically as I'd like to think it, it is because <laughs> the argument is the more visible we are, the more there is a chance to attack us. Like trans people have been using the bathroom just fine for like you know y y decades, um, right, right? And now it's all of a sudden people are concerned about where trans people poop. Um, right, right, right. You know, yeah. so like visibility does breed backlash, but I think that's inevitable in a social movement. And ultimately, you know, we're I think we are on the path to acceptance, particularly as more people get to know trans. Yeah. People. Going back to the concept of empathy, I I often think like on my end, uh, you know, trans people are are I think we have have a bit of a reputation of being angry or of yelling um, or getting really upset, and I understand why because it yeah there are times in your life especially when you're transitioning or if you are visibly trans that mm -hmm. you just get a lot of shit all the time and you're like i'm fucking tired of this i just want to yeah. eat my cheeseburger leave me alone yes. ma'am this is an arby's um yes, yes. <laughs> but um but i think that you know like anything i don't think anyone can say that they have been pure in their political convictions since birth you know sure. i think we've all had to evolve on something on race on gender on sexual orientation on immigrants yes. on disabilities yeah. like you know so I, I i try to the best i can because i i get less flack for being trans be a bit yeah. more like hey yeah you're growing yeah that's okay yeah here's you know you know here's a way i i i hope out of this for the listener the listener will see or i guess if they see it then there's a huge problem but if they hear it <laughs> that they'll hear the that they hear a, a dynamic that you and I have had for a long time that I really, that was my favorite thing about having this interview was the catch up and all this other, all of the, the, the details in it are such a bonus to be able to get this information out um, in a way that lets me see your transformation, but also, um, I think it's good for me to sit here and talk and hope listeners like me can understand. We are all, as I think Zeke just said, we're all products, both of what we inherit from our families, our social pressures, the things we develop on our own and from media. And that 
If you approach yourself with some forgiveness and understanding and openness, you can face your shame and maybe be a better person and facilitate people. And that would be so much better than resisting it and then calcifying into a hateful, gnarled, angry nugget of shit, which yeah. nobody wants. No. Um, so there we go. Um, Zeke, plug. Plug. Now. Okay. Uh, again, disclosure. Uh, translates on screen. On Netflix, uh, you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Zekerchief, which is Z-E-K-E-R-C-H-I-E-F. There it is. And by the way, I will also say after you watch the documentary, if you're hankering for it, there is a virtual reality chase at the end of Disclosure. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and that was my conversation with Zeke Smith. Uh, I think you can tell from our uh, exchanges that we uh, definitely delight each other. And uh, uh it was really great to catch up with him uh, and hear about how his life is going now um, and so many um, great accomplishments. I have that with a lot of former students that I taught at the Upright Citizens Brigade, and um, but Zeke stands out as a, a, a particularly uh, engaging and uh, kind soul uh, who I'm so glad in a way, I think every circumstance that happened uh, for Zeke, including ones that probably, you know, he wasn't thrilled about, like the survivor revelation, I think have all led to uh, ultimately a better uh, realization of himself. And I think that's true uh, maybe to take from uh, this podcast uh, something for your own life, which is as you move through your life, all the things that seem like sort of tragedies or frustrations or betrayals and often also the positive things. Uh, but generally I think usually the things that we fear or think are crises are all the things that shape who we are. And, um, you know, they end up becoming just part of the story, uh, of our, of our life. So, um, yeah, I hope that you enjoyed, uh, this uh, return episode of Coffee with Tony. And as always, you know, support the show, patreon.com slash the real Tony, uh, cameo.com slash the real Tony if you want to book uh, my Trump voice for something. And um, remember, you can watch uh, Coffee with Tony live Monday through Friday on twitch.tv slash shatty fatty. That's twitch.tv slash shaddyfatty, 12.30 p.m. Eastern to 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific to 10.30 a.m. Pacific. And uh, we cover everything under the sun five days a week. So check it out, and thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>